America. It's live and underway here on ESPN, episode 326, kicked off by none other than The Undertaker himself, handing out the hardware at the Riyadh Season Cup. Oh, what could have been for Inter-Miami this preseason? Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebastian Salazar. Herc, where are you? What is that in your backdrop? First off, uh, Cristiano, uh, Undertaker had the last laugh there. This is the beautiful stadium, Allegiant Stadium here, home of the Las Vegas Raiders, my Las Vegas Raiders, and I'm here covering the Super Bowl for ESPN Deportes, as you well know, Aranunca. Uh, This is the worst possible scenario. I put Mm -hmm. the example of this is like if in El Estadio Volcán, the home of Mm -hmm. Tigres, it was a neutral site final, and Rayados... One of their hated rivals played against America, one of their hated mm. rivals. It's the worst possible scenario for me as a Raider fan to be here. Hey, but you're still covering the Super Bowl. Let's not lose uh, sight of the important things. We have many important things, Herc, to discuss on this edition of Football Americas. We've got the U.S. Women's National Team roster for the upcoming Gold Cup. Some big omissions, some big absences there that we will discuss. We also have some great interviews coming up in this show. We're going to hear from Claudio Pizarro, of course, Peruvian footballing legend. Spent a lot of time in the Bundesliga, so he's going to talk to us about the big game in the Bundesliga this weekend between Bayern Munich and Bayer Leverkusen. Key to the title race there. And speaking of Bundesliga title races, Emil Forsberg with RB Leipzig has been involved in one or two of those. He's, of course, now with the New York Red Bulls, so we're here from him uh, as well. But why don't we start this show with the CONCACAF Champions Cup, the now expanded version, Hurt, of the CONCACAF Champions League, Club América. One of the big boys in Mexico visiting Real Esteli, the Nicaraguan champions. And, Herc, this is why the CONCACAF Champions Cup is so great, because right from the jump, you knew there was an upset in the air. Just a few minutes into the game, and Esteli earned the penalty. Pretty clear handball here on America. Yeah, things got real. Things got real. Real Esteli. And then look at this. Panenka! Right down the middle. Oh, the aguacates on that one. Byron Bonilla with the Panenka from the spot to put the Nicaraguan side up 1-0. America would have a great chance here in the 21st minute. Ball comes all the way across the box. Alejandro Zendejas, what? Yeah, Hernandez whips it right here, the young guy. And then Zendejas on that right foot, clearly left-footed on that turf. Bad bouncing, no go. Another chance for America here from the free kick. Richard Sanchez denied, big save. Massive save. He's right there where he needs to be. And then look at this, Seb. Set pieces. Nobody on him. Oh, no. Emilio Lara. You may want to just put a body on that guy. Probably just anybody. Please do something. Nope. With a header there, just two minutes into the second half to make it 2-0 Real Esteli. 90th minute. America get one back. Julian Quinones, Herc, on the rebound. Yeah, Julian Quinones off that rebound. It's a vicious bounce right there. Goalkeeper has to parry that wide. He doesn't. Julian Quinones, he'll take that. But in the end, Real Esteli, your winners, as they take the first leg 2-1. to one. Second leg will be next Wednesday. Uh, not at the Azteca, actually, at the Estadio Azul, as America will be playing their CONCACAF games. Not at their usual home. Some history here for Real Esteli. Their first ever win in 31 games in this competition. How about that payout? Almost 6-1 to one if you bet uh, money line on Real Esteli to get the job done against Club America, the Mexican champions, Herc. I know a guy who had America as part of a money line. He may have been overlooking Real Esteli. In fact, he had him as part of a, uh, a parlay 
with Rayados and Chivas. And if any Mexican team was going to let this guy down, he did not expect it to be America against Real Esteli. So this friend of mine, not me, definitely not me, overlooked Real Esteli. Did America overlook the Nicaraguan champions? Let me start off by saying, Sebastian Salazar, you need help. I'll start off by saying that. Uh, all right. My friend Did they help. overlook uh, Real Esteli? <laughs> yeah, your, your friend. Your friend is your, your, mm -hmm. tu primo. He needs help. Mm -hmm. um, no, Seb, this is what this is what America has been doing. Why didn't we say they overlooked Cholos when they went with like their C team? That was the right. That's what they were saying. We played Cholos with our C team. Beat Cholos. Uh, we played Juarez with a mixed and alternate squad. They beat Juarez. We played against Necaxa with a different team. They do well against Necaxa. Get a result. Why are we going to give them the out here? Because it finally bit them in the butt? Because even though in all those games, the best player was Luis Malagón, their goalkeeper. And again, against Real Esteli, if not for Luis Malagón, we didn't see the highlights, the rest of the highlights of Real Esteli taking it to him. Maybe they didn't have possession, but when they played in their half, America's half, they were dangerous. And the best player, not only this game, but for the whole season for America, has been Luis Malagón, the goalkeeper. I don't want to hear the ABC team scenario, blah, 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 and now, ho, oh, we weren't ready mm -hmm. for him. No, come on. They didn't look past him. Give Real Esteli their credit. They played well. They took it to the Liga MX Campeones. Yeah, I think America looked bad. I'm not going to shy away from that, but overlooked as in like the players thought this was going to be a much easier game and, and they looked down on their opponent. I find that a little bit hard to believe. There are very few instances, Herc, where you watch a game and you say, this team didn't show up, right? That was not what I felt watching this America game. I might have felt a lot of frustration or my friend might have felt a lot of frustration. But he didn't think that the team wasn't trying. They were just playing badly. And I think there's reasons why they played badly. Um, I pointed out during the game, I was very bitter about the turf. Terrible, terrible conditions. I think that definitely affected America and helped Real Esteli. They're accustomed to playing on that junk. America does not have their best team. They got a lot of guys who are banged up right now. Um, and it was their second game in what? Three days, 72 hours before they played Rayados. I don't know if you look at that bench, Herc, how much more aggressive Jardine, the manager, could have been in terms of lineup. Like, if people think that he overlooked Real Esteli, what, what more would he have done? Would he have started Diego Valdez? Would he have started Julian Quinones? I mean, those guys, well, Quinones played 90 minutes against Rayados, and Valdez played, I think he, he subbed out with like four minutes left in the game, basically played the full 90. Uh, those are two of your most important players. I think it makes sense that you would give them a little bit of the break and rely on some of the depth up top. And look, we saw the misses. I mean, that miss from Zendejas, it's comical. So I'm not really worried about this, Herc. I, I didn't like the performance, but there's probably not a team You're in the whole region. You're not worried by it? No, no, not in terms of advancing here. There's not a team in the Seb, region that I'm Seb, scared who's been, of. Who's been America's best, who's been America's best player all season? Say it again. Who? Who's there's been America's best player all season? No, oh, Luis Malagón, you said that all season last year, and they walked through the league. No, we didn't, Seb. No, we didn't. Their best player last year was Julian Quinones or Diego Valdez. They were due on the offensive end, and they were surprising everybody with how well they were play playing defensively. This this isn't good defense. Emilio Lara, who was the next big thing for you Americanistas, mm -hmm. he looked like one of the worst players in CONCACAF mm -hmm. yesterday. Both goals. We get Kevin Alvarez back. We'll be okay. We get Henry Martin him. back. We'll be okay. You put you Israel. Think gonna beat America? You think they're going to knock out America? 0.0% chance. Is that sir. what we're talking about, Seb? Seb yeah, I'm not, we're not talking about, about it. The, you give them a 0% chance? 
Zero percent chance. What chance did you give him before? Zero percent chance. What chance did you give him of winning this game? What chance did you did your cousin? Excuse me. What chance did your cousin give him of winning this game? A percentage chance. That guy knew he took a risk when he put the money down. Oh, it's God, Tucker. Sam, Anything come can happen. on, man. They but got not, an 89th minute not, goal, not 90 minutes goal by Julian Quinones. Seb, Seb, you know what I thought was going to happen? Can I be honest with you for a second? It's going on to the 90th minute. I'm thinking, Real Esteli is going to come out of this 2-0, and we know the narrative. Away goal, they got to score four. Amerigo would have to score four if mm -hmm. Real Esteli and Azteca score one. And I'm thinking in my head, it's going to be the same thing as Mexico versus Honduras, where Honduras sits back and a Mex <laughs> Mexico... They end up winning. That's what I mm. thought was going to happen. This goal right here, this goal right here gives America much more than life. And honestly, I don't think it was as deserved as many would seem. Individual performances again have bailed America out. Now, you could say whatever you want about a 0% chance, but your cousin, your cousin gave them a 0% chance heading into this game that they lost 2-1. That could have been 3-0, and you know that. Okay, very different scenario playing in Mexico City and playing on that junk turf down in Nicaragua. We'll see what happens in the second leg comes Valentine's Day. Let's uh, move beautiful on stadium. to Chivas, beautiful stadium, who are also uh, in action. Speaking of beautiful stadiums, at uh, Tim Horton Stadium. No, up in, uh, where is it? Hamilton, Ontario, is that right? Toronto, yeah, Hamilton, outside of Toronto, Orange Hamilton. FC yeah. of the Canadian Premier League. Chivas, of course, champions of this competition back in 2018, 26 minutes in, Cade Cowell opening the scoring hurt. I mean, a sweet no look right here. This is the second goal of Fida, if I don't, if I remember correctly, from Cade Cowell. It's a sweet finish with the left foot. Five minutes later, Forge oh, yeah, FC going to get their equalizer. It's going to come across here to Taron Campbell, who touches it home. 1-1. One, one. Yeah, but that's a delightful ball. A nice little curler. And again, it's this type of turf that complicates things for the Mexican teams. By the way, you said Hamilton, Ontario, right there outside of Toronto. Hamilton, I believe, is the birthplace of Marcelo Flores. Wow, look at that. All sorts of uh, trivia here. First half stoppage time. Chivas back in front. Cowell the assist to Ricardo Marin. Yeah, listen, Cal's going to get a brace, and we're going to see the second one in a bit. But this ball right here with the left foot shows me or tells me everything I need to know about Cal and his confidence and how it's growing at Chivas. Chivas up 2-1 at the break into the second half. Chivas looking for a third, and they're going to find it. And they're going to find it through that blonde man, Cade Cowell. Yeah, look, Chivas look better with the nine. Marin's in there. And when you got a nine there, Cade Cal can move with it just at ease, at liberty. He finds a space. Nice left-footed finish. Final score, three to one. Let's hear from Cal post-game. Yeah, obviously very excited for the moment. Uh, obviously the job's not done yet. We have to come back and uh, take care of one more game, but it was a good start. How does it feel to get your first goal with Chivas in a, in a tournament like CONCACAF Champions? It's definitely a huge relief. Um, happy to get it now, and, and a huge, such a big tournament. It's my first time playing this, so I'm very excited. All right, Herc, just five games in, but how would you rate Cade Cowell's performances for Chivas so far? I, I think he's been... Excellent uh, for what we know of Kate Cowell. He's been one of the bright spots, if not one of the best players for Chivas this season. Now, let's put things into perspective, right? They're playing against a second division team in Forge FC, and Forge FC did their thing, but they're still a second division team, and Kate Cowell exploited those deficiencies. But look at Kate Cowell every single game he's played. 
from the first to this last one. He keeps growing. And what I love is Gago, Fernando Gago is finally learning how to use him. He's not a nine. He can't play centrally. You need to put him in open space and let him do what he does best. Run at guys, be confident, be vertical, be electric, which he has been for Chivas. This game, three instances where he goes up on the score sheet, two goals and an assist. Did you notice that each and every single one was with his left foot? The confidence in this man right now, or this kid, is soaring, and I love that. And what I love about this, about Cave Cow and his success, and there's still many who bring up that he has no connection to Mexico. He only has a passport. He doesn't speak the language. Blah, 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 blah. This kid right here is showing why Chivas, Chivas is going to start exploiting this market even more. Mm -hmm. Mexican-Americans like Brandon Vasquez, Alejandro Sendejas, the future players around the United States or around the world with a Mexican passport, Chivas is going to go after them. And in this market, the U.S. market, mm -hmm. which was just so taboo when it came to the U.S. men's national team player, that no longer is a barrier for Chivas, and it's going to be because of Kate Cowell. Herc, I remember the conversations when Cal was about to be signed. And especially from the Mexican media, there seemed to be a great bit of concern as to how he would be received. Even I think people might remember our interview with Marco Fabian. You asked Marco Fabian himself, a Chivas legend, how would Cowell, a U.S. men's national team player, be received? We know from the history of sports, if you are a groundbreaker, if you're a barrier breaker, you're, you're going to get some shtick. But the only way that guaranteed you're going to overcome it is really, really good performances. And that's what you're getting right now out of Cade Cowell. He's playing exceptionally well. And I don't know if maybe that media sentiment hurt that he would not be well received was based on the age of the media and this perception that that in Mexico they weren't going to receive him. Because Ooh, what I, I think we're it. seeing now, because what I think we're seeing now is the reality that not only does Chivas, as you point out, kind of have to do this to expand their talent pool. But he is being well-received in a way that nobody expected. He is converting the haters into believers. And the people who are non-haters, and we're hearing it from some Chivas fans, amongst them producer Beto, are adopting this kid as like a <laughs> Hater cult number one. status, <laughs> as a cult status hero. And to, to your point, he's still a kid. Yep. He's 20 years old. He's only five games in. The future is very bright for Cade Cowell. And if there's any doubts as to, one, how this would be received, and then, two, what that would mean for kind of future U.S. men's national team players who might want to make this move, I think you can throw that out the window, Herc, because he has certainly thrown the oh. door wide open for the next two or three guys that are going to try to do this. I think Chivas fans are going to be salivating about these players from now on. Yeah, I think there are a lot of people out there who don't understand just how taboo this situation is. I was in Mexico after we became Liga MX champions with Santos, and Van Chip, Jorge Van Chip, George Van Chip, tried to get me to Chivas when Jorge Vergara was still around, may he rest in peace, and it was pretty much a done deal from team to team. In comes the news that there's a possibility I might go, and there's like a press revolt, mm. and the outburst or, or, or the the response was that they've never seen that they retracted it's been mm. that taboo and now you have a player with not that much let's be honest uh history with the u.s men's national team he's still a kid he's not really broken in especially not to that first team never in any realistic scenario here he is breaking these barriers you're talking about but we have to give Cade cal a lot of credit so because it would be very very easy to see him not do well it didn't work this is why you don't bring players 
players in, trust the Mexican player, the domestic player, let them give him a chance. This type of play has them kicking themselves they didn't spend the money for Branton Vasquez. Has them kicking themselves mm. that he's playing in Rayados and not Chivas. When, when was your failed transfer to Chivas? What was that, 12 years ago? 13 years ago? Uh, about 12, 11 years ago. Yeah. So it's not that long ago, but you see how things can change. I got to hold my hand up here, too. I didn't think that the guys who made the move, Herc, from MLS to Liga Mekis would boost their U.S. men's national team status. I think both of them right now, Brandon Vasquez and Cade Cowell, have undoubtedly, even though it's only been a few games, helped their chances with the U.S. men's national team pool. And they've got the rest of the season, another month now, where if they stay hot, it's going to be real hard to keep some of these guys off that roster for Nations League in March. Oh, man, that's such a tough one, Seb. I'd love to say you're absolutely right, but some of these positions, especially that nine position, is so deep. I, I don't I don't, uh, I don't know about that. But I can see Cade Cowell pushing Olympic minutes. I can see Cade Cowell from that, parlaying that into something else, using Chivas as a platform maybe to go elsewhere. But it'd be very difficult to see these two breaking into that U.S. men's national team first team picture. Mm. Speaks uh, quite a bit to the depth of the U.S. men's national team pool. Let's catch up on the rest of the CONCACAF Champions Cup, Herc, from the midweek. We had some good games. We'll start with uh, the only MLS Liga Mekis game in this round. It's Tigres against Vancouver. First leg, Vancouver opening the scoring in the 32nd minute through Damir Krylak. Damir Krylak debuting with the goal. That's what this man is supposed to bring. That's what he's going to bring to Vancouver. It's a beautiful, nice little finish. Nahuel Guzman never saw it coming. Andre Pierre Gignac, always the guy when Tigres need a goal, and he gets it here in the 88th minute on the set piece. Yeah, but what a way to get it. I mean, this is a thumper. This is a ridiculous strike right here. Off the set piece, Andre Pierre Gignac, the numero uno en el corazón and the history of all Tigre fans. The first leg there finishes 1-1. Second leg back at El Volcan. Herediano against Toluca. This one opened up with Federico Pereira scoring the 16th minute. Ooh. It's a nice little goal right there. This one, Toluca, you know, on that field, not an easy surface. They did their thing. Second goal from Robert Morales there to make it 2-0. Toluca Herediano already playing with a man down. They would yeah, get and back actually in this game, honor here in the 88. Yeah, Alexis Vega came on in the second half. He actually scores a goal. They call back. He was in an offside position. But Alexis Vega also warming up, also getting back on the score sheet for Toluca as of late. That one finishes 2-1. Toluca, meanwhile, Rayados. Hammering Comunicaciones. They scored first through Berterame. Uh, Carlos Mejia equalized here in the 29th for the side from Guatemala. But from there, Herc, it was all Rayados. Arturo Gonzalez there in the 52nd minute with the eventual game winner. Yeah, this was just marred by ugly scenes outside of the field. You know, extra cancha. The, the Rayados fans and the Guatemalan fans would clash, you know, before and after. Ugly scenes you never want to see, which overshadowed what was a pretty good game. Mm, Jesus Gallardo made it 3-1, Rodrigo Aguirre 4-1 uh, as Rayados rolls quite easily. A reminder, ESPN FC available for you seven days a week here on ESPN Plus. Big weekend of European soccer coming up here on ESPN Plus. Don't miss a single episode of the show.
Let's talk some Major League Soccer moves because there have been plenty of them hurt. Kellen Acosta is going to the Chicago Fire as first reported by our good friend and colleague Kyle Bonagura here at ESPN. The 28-year-old U.S. international is joining as a free agent from LAFC. For those wondering about the nitty-gritty, he's going to be a TAM signing and not a designated player. But uh, Chicago Fire making a move there to bolster their midfield. What about Joseph Martinez? There's a uh, big name. He's heading north, way north, to CF Montreal, of course, having played at Inter-Miami last year. He also gets a TAM contract. One that'll be good through next season with an option for 2025. Herc, what do you think about that landing spot for Joseph? Listen, it's an interesting landing spot. Uh, I just want to see him get out of a place like Miami. He wasn't going to play. Uh, he wasn't going to get the minutes he wanted. It all depends on how that knee is holding up. I know Joseph is telling us he is fit. A fit Joseph Martinez in this league can be a dangerous Joseph Martinez. But the reality is we've not seen that Joseph Martinez over the last two years. 30 years old, he had seven goals and one assist last season in MLS play for Inter Miami. All right, Herc, well, I don't know if Joseph Martinez is gonna make your list, but we've been handed some homework here from production. We've gotta pick our top three signings so far of the MLS offseason. And key to say, so far, not just because I'm buying some time here as they fix your light, uh, but because even though the transfer windows are closed in most <laughs> parts of the world, you can still uh, add players in Major League Soccer, at least through like mid-April. So there's still a chance for MLS teams, if they can find some free agents, to bolster their roster. But of the offseason signings so far, we've each been tasked with picking our top three. So, Herc, why don't you go first? Who you got? All right. Let's bring up number three, Senor Luis Muriel. Uh, Muriel, excuse me. Luis Muriel, Colombian international, 32 years of age from Atalanta. Now listen, I know he didn't play a lot this season in Atalanta, only a few goals really to brag about in Serie A. But if you look mm -hmm. at when he's been given a chance, Europa League games, four goals in five games, a player that still proves to be a massive threat in front of goal. This is a great signing for Orlando City. And who knows? Who knows? We may see him with Duncan McGuire sooner rather than later. Duncan McGuire in that failed transfer, maybe coming back to Orlando. His agent has uh, been we're talking a bit on Twitter. There's a bit of confusion there. So maybe he's back with Orlando City, and I'm sure those fans would love to have these two up front with Oscar Pareja's team. All right, number two, Pedro de la Vega from Lanús huh, to the Seattle Sounders. Now, let, no, wait, listen, listen. You know Lanús has given CONCACAF some great players. Great mm -hmm. players. Uh, there was a Pacific Northwest legend by the name of Diego Valeri as well, who plays for the rival Portland Timbers, who is a Lanús through and through kid and a Pacific Northwest legend. Well, Nicolo Dedo's gone. He went to Orlando City. They are hoping De La Vega can be the heir to Nicolo Dedo, a dynamic winger who can play centrally as well. Very fast, technical, and, and, and what's best is I think you're getting him at the right time. This kid in 2022 uh, suffered a torn ACL just when he was on the come up, and it took him a while. Last year he comes back, six goals, seven assists. Uh, he could be a prominent player that's maybe not, or it's maybe they're trying to unearth at the moment. I think it's an interesting prospect. I'll give the Sounders number two. Oh, but number one. Uh, can we give number one to David Martinez, the LAFC uh, signing? Now, I am big on this Venezuelan kid. Mm. He's 18 years of age. He's killing it domestically. If you're keeping an eye on this pre-Olympic 
Combinable tournaments going on, the U23 tournament. This kid is the youngest kid, youngest player on his team, and he's killing. The first two goal, or first two games, excuse me, a goal and an assist. LAFC fans should be all in with this player. I watched him mm. play from what I have seen, shades of a young Miguel Almiron. Skinny, lanky, fast, technical, in transition, could be lethal. The ability to start and finish a play, I'm all in on David Martinez. Wow, okay. All right, I like it there. I like the Luis Muriel one, man. I was high on Orlando last year. I think I had him getting out of the Eastern Conference uh, in the playoffs. I, I might have had him even as a supporter shield when we did the picks early in the year. If they got this guy hammering home goals, and I know it's been a while since he was really the guy at Atalanta, but there was a moment there, and it wasn't that long ago, maybe three years ago, two years ago, where he was the face, the leading guy for one of the most yeah. productive attacks in all of European football, right? So I, I like that Luis Muriel one, especially uh, if he can play uh, a little bit, as you said, with Duncan McGuire. Let me give you my top three here uh, real quick. Gabriel Peck, okay? Let's give the LA Galaxy fans something to be somewhat excited about here, right? 22-year-old Brazilian club record. Now, this is a top signing. One, because I think he's going to be good, right? He's had something like 170 appearances already at the age of uh, 22 for a club like Vasco da Gama, which I know has not been lighting it up in Brazil over the last four or five years, but they're still a big club, and he's played a lot of minutes for that club. So I think he's going to come to MLS. He's going to do well, and I don't think Herky's going to be alone. Your former team is linked to a lot of players right now. They're very close on apparently a Ghanaian player out Let's of the Belgian him. league. Uh, they got some work in on uh, on another winger out of the Argentine League with Talleres. So they're gonna have some they're gonna have some pieces there. I think he's gonna do well. This guy has one of those magical left foots. It's something between like a a wand and just a hammer. So he's gonna do well. And big big signing here too. First signing of the Will Koontz era, right? So gotta get this one right. Second signing, equally important, not because it's the first signing. But because if this signing doesn't go well, it might be the last signing of the uh, George Heights, the sporting director in Chicago uh, of his era. Oh, He's wow. got Hugo Pipers out of Belgium. Dude's been scoring an incredible amount of goals. Chicago Fire's got Kellen Acosta. They got Shakiri. They're doing some big things. Uh, and my number one signing, I mean, if this signing hits, it's going to be the story of the season. Luis Suarez dancing alongside Lionel Messi and tearing this league apart. He told us his knee was good, Herc. He told us his knee was good. I'm going to take him at his word. And you saw the goals that he scored uh, down in Brazil. So uh, there you have it. Luis Suarez is my number one signing. And uh, combined there, Herc, it is our top signings of the MLS offseason. Again, important to note of the MLS offseason so far. Take your chance. Give it all you got. It's now or never, so take a shot. This is the moment you get what you want. Don't pick no home. You gotta earn your throne. No need to make it until you make it if you're already in the zone. Don't pick no home. Go hard, go strong. If you want to make it, then you can take it, but you better get in the zone. Massive game this weekend in the Bundesliga. Number one versus number two. Your league leaders, Bayer Leverkusen, hosting the defending champs, Bayern Munich, Saturday on ESPN. Plus, Leverkusen, of course, have never won the Bundesliga, but they enter the weekend with a two-point lead on Bayern Munich, going for their 12th straight league title. 
Our next guest here on Football Americas, none other than Claudio Pizarro, an icon, a legend of Peruvian soccer and a gentleman who played across many leagues during his distinguished career in professional football, but spent a lot of time in Germany. We're going to be talking a lot of Bundesliga today. Claudio, great to have you here on the show. Thanks for the moments. No, of course. Thank you very much. All right, so let's dive in on the Bundesliga because uh, obviously you spent your time at Bayern Munich, and so I'm sure you have, you know, your allegiances there. But for those of us who are neutrals and kind of watching on the outside, what we like about this year is that somebody's finally truly challenging Bayern Munich. What do you think of the title race that we got going on right now? Well, I'm really happy that something like that is happening at the moment as well. Uh, the last years, it was kind of uh, easy for Bayern to win the league. And this year, I think uh, what Xavi Alonso as a coach is doing at Leverkusen is, is very special. And I'm glad that he's doing well. Um, and we will see what happens on, on the weekend. I think it's a very important game, Bayern against Leverkusen. And um, we will see who's going to win. What do you see in this Bayern Munich team compared to the teams that we've seen maybe in the last years? Even though I know last year's team maybe wasn't dominant, uh, but still ended up winning the title on the last day of the year. Well, I think this year uh, you have uh, Bayern Leverkusen, who is very consistent in the whole year. He's playing well football. Um, he's winning the games. And that is maybe what Bayern is not doing this year. This consistency that you need to, to win the league at the end is very important. Bayern had that in the last years. That's why they won the league many times consecutive. And this year you have an opponent who is Bayern Leverkusen who is doing really well. He has a great coach, great players. And they are fighting for, for winning the league this year. So we will see what happens at the end. It's funny you say inconsistency. I feel like consistency is a staple of Bayern Munich. It's obviously not for lack of talent. There's incredible players there. So what do you think is missing for Bayern to find that consistency? Well, I think uh, the season is very long. And Bayern is playing many tournaments. It's not that easy to compete in all the tournaments and to be focused uh, the, the whole year. That's uh, what Bayern were capable to do in the last years. This year, I think, this year is not that easy to do that. I think they have uh, many new players coming into the team and they have to adapt to new situations. And that's why maybe this inconsistency is not uh, helping Bayern at the moment. One player that we like to focus on because he's from our region. Of course, he played in Major League Soccer is Alfonso Davies. Uh, I wonder what you make of his time at Bayern Munich and if you can remember to when he arrived, what you thought he would be because he pretty immediately walked into, if not a starting role, a really important place in the team. And I think a lot of us over here knew he was a good player, but even we didn't expect that he would have such an immediate impact and then keep that spot for so many years after. Yeah, I think when he came, he was really a young player. And of course, he needed to, to build up his, his game. But you knew that he was a really fast player with a lot of uh, talent. And um, when you are surrounded with good players and good people, around you that could help you to improve your game and uh, you adapt and you get this experience that he needed. I think at the moment he's playing really well. He's a very fast player and he helped the team a lot. How important do you think he is to Bayern Munich? Because there's lots of rumors, reports that maybe he could be looking abroad. Real Madrid has been interested. Do you think he has to stay for the future? Well, I would love him to stay, of course. At the end, it's his decision, but I think he's a very important player player for the club. He's there for a long time. And at the end, it's his decision what he wants to do or where he want to be. 
Uh, we started the interview talking about the title race and this weekend's game. Do you think the winner of this weekend's game determines who will win the Bundesliga? I think it could be possible that, that it's going to be like that. Yeah, I think that mm. the game on the weekend is going to be really important for both teams. Uh, I'm really excited to watch the game because it's going to be a great game. Uh, and of course, I hope that Bayern Munich could win the game. It's not going to be easy because I said that they are doing a great job, Leverkusen. But uh, I think in this moment is where you see Bayern Munich uh, taking the lead and, and showing what they are capable to do. Claudio, I'd be remiss. The show is called Football Americas. If we didn't ask you about Peru and the national team and your, your exploits, your amazing career there. Um, let's start with the current state of the national team. You know, where is Peru? I remember back in the 2018 World Cup, we were lucky enough, uh, Hercules and I, Hercules Gomez, the co-host of the show, uh, to be in Russia. And, you know, everybody says Brazil has great fans and Tarara has great fans. Peru was present. I think all of Peru was in Russia for that World Cup. Uh, where are we now with the Peruvian national team as we get set for the Copa America, which, of course, will be played here later this year? Well, for us, it was very special to go to World Cup after 36 years. And, of course, all the fans wanted to be there. All the Peruvian people flew from around the world to see the, the, the team playing in Russia. And it was a very special moment uh, for all the, the Peruvian fans. Uh, the situation at the moment is not that good. We just changed uh, coaches. Uh, we are building a new team. So it's not a, a good situation. But we're in the middle of the qualification for the next World Cup. So uh, we have to adapt to the situation very fast. And uh, let's hope that this new coach uh, get ideas he wants very quickly to the players and the players can understand what he wants from them. And at the end, uh, the Peruvian team is going to be or is going to play better this uh, qualification games because at the moment we are not doing really well. You mentioned the World Cup qualifiers. In light of that, how important is a tournament like the Copa America? And what would be the expectations for this Peruvian team in your mind? Well, as I said, at the moment, we are not doing well. Um, I hope with this new coach, we are going to build a, a new team. Uh, we're going to get better. And I hope we can uh, qualify to the World Cup. We have many chances now. There is two more teams that could qualify to the World Cup. And uh, we will see what happens at the end. You've played in a bunch of Copa Americas. Do you like this Copa America that's combined between CONCACAF and CONMEBOL? Yes, of course. It's going to be something different, but uh, there is many, many teams. We can call it Copa America now, really. And uh, it's going to be something different and very special for all the, the teams that are playing there. All right, here to have a few minutes there with Claudio Pizarro. Peru, of course, in a group A with Argentina, Chile, and maybe uh, Canada. They can beat Trinidad and Tobago. But the big game in the Bundesliga, there it is. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen, Bayern Munich this weekend. Coverage starting at noon Eastern time here on ESPN+. Plus. Make sure to uh, check out all the pregame buildup here on the network. Part of that pregame buildup, no doubt, Herc. We're making sure everybody is as well-educated as they can possibly be ahead of this game, just in case we have any friends or cousins that might want to get involved from a uh, lines perspective here. Mi primo, <laughs> yes. My cousin. So uh, that's right, that's we've, right. been, we've been tasked with making a bet here. Since you are in Vegas, I'll let you start us off with this edition of Book It. Uh, what do you got for Bayer Leverkusen All against right. Bayern Munich this weekend? 
All right, I found a very interesting little parlay. It's the double mm -hmm. chance for Bayern Leverkusen and the over of two and a half goals. Now, we just saw that Bayern Leverkusen is unbeaten in 30 straight matches. German record for them, all right? Uh, what you also don't know is that the Bayern Munich team, they're not very good on the road, and they're also struggling with injuries right now. In fact, the last three games on the road, they've leaked in eight goals against. And if you want to, another reason for there to be goals in this game to hit that over, the last five matches these two have played, the over of two and a half goals has hit in four mm. of those matches. Xavi Alonso has something special going on. They are the rage in all of world football for something. But quite frankly, this could be the last uh, hurrah for Bayern Munich if they want to stay in the title race. I think it goes down this weekend with Leverkusen at double chance and the over two and a half goals. Wow. All right. We can also look back at the meeting in September, which was 2-2. So plenty of evidence and plenty of expectations, Her, that there will be goals in this game. I'm going to do something a little bit similar, but at the end of the day, very different because I'm not going with Bayer Leverkusen. I'm taking the double chance, but I'm going with Bayern Munich here and both teams to score. Let me start with the both teams to score. It's a lot of the same logic you're using, Herc, that there will be goals in this game. But specifically, in eight of the last ten matchups between these two teams, both teams have scored. So I'm relying on history there. When it comes to Bayern Munich, Herc, I'm also going to lean on history. I appreciate the 30-match unbeaten streak that Bayer Leverkusen are on. But we're talking about 11 straight Bundesliga titles for Bayern Munich. Since I have watched the Bundesliga, I have never seen Bayern Munich lose a game like this. In fact, I have only seen them win these games and usually win by a big number. So I'm going to go with Bayern Munich here. What I will always say on these, especially when we do them on Thursday and the game isn't until Saturday, is wait until the lineups come out before you put your bets in. Because as Herc mentioned, there are quite a few injuries here. Key among them, our guy, Alfonso Davies, who's got a knee injury, he's yep. out. But Bayern Munich is missing a bunch of guys. Uh, so is Bayer Leverkusen. They've got their injury concerns as well. But Herc, it's a big game with a lot of big missing pieces. For us, the major bummer is we probably won't get to see Alfonso Davies, and you would have loved to see him in a game like this. Absolutely, especially with all the rumors around Madrid going on. And by the way, you said Bayern Munich doesn't lose these games, that you've never seen them not win the Bundesliga. I will remind you, if not for Giovanni mm -hmm. Reina's Borussia Dortmund choking away the final match mm -hmm. day, there would have been a new Bundesliga winner. Right, And but who won the Bundesliga last season? And the 10 years before that? Correct. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go with that team. Yeah. Uh, your parlay is a little bit more productive. I, I think it, it was plus 110, uh, minus minus 105, so about uh, even money there. There's a reason, after all, Herc, that they call them uh, Neverkusen over there in Germany. We'll see what happens this weekend. Oh, speaking, wow. Speaking of the title race, uh, as we mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to hear from Emil Forsberg now. He, of course, played in the Bundesliga and knows a thing or two about the uh, top of the table over there in Germany. Let's hear what he had to say. I got to ask you about Bundesliga, specifically like the title race. I guess in your entire time in the Bundesliga, you've only really known one champion, and that's Bayern Munich. Mm. You see what's unfolding this year. Do you think Leverkusen can do it? I think they're doing a fantastic job. I've been, I said it, I said it after the first game we played against them. We lost three-two, but I said, oh, what a team! And they're just getting better and better. Uh, but yeah, let's see. I think they're great challengers. Leipzig as well. I think. It's a lot to play for. Uh, you have some good teams up there, uh, but I think 
in the end it's going to be between Leipzig, Leverkusen and Bayern and I think I, I'm glad it's that way that it's not only Bayern, Bayern, Bayern every year even if they win sometimes but we need a more exciting exciting ends to the season and I think this year is going to be really really exciting. What is it about Xabi Alonso's team tactically that's just so difficult to play yeah, against? I mean they're just knowing just finding the right spaces knowing putting small passes to open up that space I think he's just he got time to, to bring his idea into the team. You could see it almost, already last year a little bit, but this year especially, you can see that they're understanding, doing what he wants to do, and it's fantastic football. You mentioned you've only you see Bayern every year, every mm. year, every year. Is that a bad thing for the Bundesliga? Sometimes, of course, it's if you only have one winner, it's in the end not fun. But I think now every team is developing more and more, and Bayern as always have fantastic players, it's an incredible club. But I mean, now with Leverkusen and us trying to be better and better every year, Dortmund as well, I hope, hopefully, it can be like this, the way it is now, that it's even, that it's until the last game, like it was last year with, last year with Dortmund and Bayern. Uh, because every, everybody wants that. You don't want buy-in, for example, champions with five uh, games left, you know, it's not fun for everyone, <laughs> except the buy-in fans. Yeah. It is indeed a title race Saturday here on ESPN+. Plus. We got Bayer Leverkusen against Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga, number one against number two. We also have that in La Liga, Real Madrid taking on Girona, who right now are two points behind Real Madrid, your league leaders. Uh, it was nobody at ESPN's idea, but uh, both these games start at 12.30 Eastern time on Saturday. Make sure to have both of your screens set to ESPN Plus this weekend. All right, Herc, let's move over to the U.S. women's national team. We've got their roster now for the upcoming Gold Cup, which will take place late February, early March here in the United States. 23 players in total called in by interim manager Twyla Kilgore, probably with some input from Emma Hayes, who will take over in a few months. There are three non-roster players included in this as well. Mallory Swanson, Savannah DeMello, and Giselle Thompson. We've had her on the show. She's the younger sister of Alyssa. Alyssa not in the camp because she's got a bad back. There's a lot of other youth, though, in this roster. You got 19-year-old Jaden Shaw, 18-year-old Olivia Moultrie, 20-year-old Corbin Albert. She's playing at PSG. All those new names to go along with some familiar names. Alyssa Thompson back in gold. She leads the goalie line. Crystal Dunn is back. And then uh, Lindsey Horan, your captain, along with Sophia Smith and Naomi Gurma, just to, Naomi Gurma, excuse me, just to name a few of the players called in. But the talk around this team is those who have been left out. Let me tell you, Herc, there are some big names. Becky Sauerbrunn, Alex Morgan, just to name a few. What about the Ashleys? Ashley Sanchez, Ashley Hatch, and uh, one of our favorites here on Football Americas, Sofia Huerta. So, Herc, of those names or any other, who do you think is the biggest snub on this Gold Cup roster for the U.S. team? All right, so I'm going to say Alex Morgan, but let me start off by saying... This isn't a snub. It should be expected, but we cannot not talk about Alex Morgan mm -hmm. on this show, not being involved with the U.S. women's national team. Now, listen, she's going to be 35 this summer. Seven goals in the NWSL, a far cry from what she did the year before. Only two goals with the U.S. women's national team last year in that calendar year. None of those goals were at the World Cup. The U.S. women's national team, their worst performance in a World Cup, four goals scored. They didn't put the ball in the back of the net. You gotta find production somewhere. And if you're relying on an aging forward 
as good as she has been historically, that's not the route. There needs to be mm. you, young blood, excuse me, new blood. There needs to be an infusion of that talent coming through the pipeline. And this is the moment. You can't always rely on a player like Alex Morgan, who's been a great steward of the game, who's been a great player for the U.S. Women's National Team. But as of late, over the last calendar, 18 months, if you will, and in this big tournament, the World Cup, she's not been that player you can count on day in and day out. It's not a snub. On mm. paper, it is because of the name, but it's not a snub because of what we've seen from her in her play the last 12 months. It is, Herc, the second straight camp where she's been left out, and both of those camps were since Emma Hayes took over. For those looking to read between the tea leaves, this is a much more important camp than the one at the end of last year, though, because this team is going to be together if everything goes well at the Gold Cup for almost a month, and that means you're really starting to build up for the Olympics for Morgan not to be a part of that, you got to wonder how it impacts her chances. It's hard to look past Alex Morgan, but to talk about somebody else, I will here. And I'm going to focus in on Ashley Sanchez. To me, her, one of the reasons that I was most excited about there being a new coaching staff, whether it was going to be Emma Hayes or not, was that we were going to get a fresh set of eyeballs to evaluate Ashley Sanchez. I thought one of the, the great mistakes of not only the last World Cup under Vladko Anonofsky, but really the buildup to the last World Cup under Vladko Anonofsky was not figuring out what to do with Ashley Sanchez, okay? And I know she's a tweener. I know she's a little bit of a, of a difficult piece to figure out. But when your team lacked creativity, which is what this team lacked all of 2023, not just at the World Cup, but in the buildup, one of your most creative players in Ashley Sanchez ought to be a part, Herc, of that solution. And then I look around the other players that were called in in this midfield. Um, obviously, Lindsey Horan, Rose Lavelle, I'm going to put ahead of a player like Ashley Sanchez. And I know some of these other players maybe don't play the exact same role as a Sanchez. But Albert, just mentioned her, 20 years old. Sam Coffey, Olivia Moultrie, Emily Sonnet. Emma, I mean, to me, Ashley Sanchez is ahead of all of those players in just straight-up quality. So I would have thought that this would be the perfect opportunity to figure out what Ashley Sanchez's role is in this national team. And I tell you what, it broke my heart to see her leave Washington. But I actually think going to North Carolina is only going to make her a better player. She's only going to be on the ball more, and that's only going to make her a more dangerous player in the NWSL. So seeing her be left off of this team to me is heartbreaking because I don't think her it's a very good omen for her Gold Cup, uh, sorry, for her Olympic chances in three or four months' time. Yeah, here's the thing with Ashley Sanchez. You and I were clamoring, we're yelling uh, top of the hills for her to get on the field. And when she got on the field it, all throughout the calendar year, didn't really do a lot with it. She was okay in the NWSL, five goals, one assist. You would expect more assists from such a creative player. But when it came to the U.S. Women's National Team, she had a career year and game started, Seb. It was the most mm. game she's ever started for the U.S. Women's National Team. And maybe it's Vlaco's system, but in the career year of game started for Ashley Sanchez, she had one assist to show for it. Mm. Zero goals, one assist. Vlaco may have been a problem. The setup may have been a problem. At some point, Ashley has to set up responsibility. It was disappointing with the Washington Spirit, and it was disappointing with the U.S. Women's National Team. Hopefully, this time away, we'll suit her well. Look, would have loved to see more of her at the World Cup. I think if we saw more, those numbers would have been uh, quite a bit different. Let's focus in on the players that are there, specifically the ones that are healthy. Let's put Mallory Swanson off to the side because she's not technically in the roster. She will be there training with the team. Who right now for you, Herc? 
of the players available should be the starting front three for this U.S. squad? Uh, I am going with, it was, I said, Smith, Rodman, and Fischl. I'm going to give me a Fischl to Ooh. start at nine. Listen, uh, the reality okay. here, Seb, yeah, the reality is you infuse new players with number nine ability. Katarina Makaria, she's not a nine, but can play a nine. She's more of a creative force, and that's who would have been my nine. No Alex Morgan, no big name, if you will. In an ideal situation, you have Mallory Swanson, Sophia Smith, and you have Katarina Makaria. That's not going to happen here, so I want a nine who's used to playing in big moments, in front of big crowds. She was doing it at Degas. She's doing it now at Chelsea in the Champions League, who has projection and room to grow. You could probably have her there for a better part of a decade if she is your person flanked by creativity and speed. Out of the players who are healthy, that's who I would go with. And you still have a player like Rodman who's chomping at the bit for her eh, venganza or, or, or redemption tour with the U.S. Women's National Team, who I think has massive upside. But right now, I think you start mm. thinking, who can be my nine? If it's not Alex Morgan, then who? I need a natural nine. Yeah, I think it all depends on the formation. If we see what Emma Hayes does at Chelsea, it's a lot of 4-2-3-1. If that's the case, I think I could see Fischl in there. It gives you a chance to get Smith, Rodman out on the wings, and then you can drop in a Lavelle underneath in that kind of 10 position. If they go to a 4-3-3, or at least a, a straight-up three-person front line, which is what we've seen a lot of in the past and what we saw a little bit in the last window of 2023, once Emma Hayes had taken over. Then I might do something a little bit different. Then I might want to finally see if what Sophia Smith does playing through the middle at the NWSL level can be replicated at the international level. Because if it can be, you could put together a front three that could really be a physical nightmare for teams. I'm thinking Smith through the middle, Trinity Rodman to the left, and honestly, Herc, I know we're going very, very young here. After what I saw live at the NWSL championship game last year with Midge Purse down that right wing, Midge Purse has a lot of qualities where she might get labeled as a super sub for the U.S. Women's National Team. Before we do that to her, let's see if she's got starting quality because I got a suspicion that she might. So I would love to see Midge Purse get some starts here uh, on the right side of a front three for the Women's National Team at the Gold Cup. But you know what? There's a lot of different ways they can play because the last... The last game that we saw in 2023 was even different. That was two central players behind an isolated kind of number one up top, which I believe then was Ashley Hatch, another somewhat snub yep. in that list. So lots of options to see uh, how this attack will stack up. Final word on this to you, Herc. No, 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 no. When Sebi Salazar says he's got a hunch, it's normally not a hunch. You got some intel. What do you know about Mitch Purse here? No, 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 I don't know. I don't know nothing. I don't know nothing. I watched her. Right, I watched right, her live in San right. Diego. I saw her take over the NWSL championship game, uh, and it's a player yeah. who I think the U.S. Women's National Team would do very, very well to get the, uh, the most out of this year. All right, well, uh, let's talk about the NWSL because we got a big game coming up. Very excited about uh, joining up with our NWSL coverage partners over at uh, uh, oh, uh, okay. We were going to mention Mallory Swanson uh, was one of the players that was on the uh, list. Where does she fit into your plans there, Herc? 
Well, she's not going to play, right? She's still nursing that knee that she got injured back in April. But let's be honest, when we talk about Mallory Swanson, probably the most informed player leading up to that World Cup, and she only played six games, she, or, or excuse me, seven games. She's a leading goal scorer and only played seven games. Excuse me. She only played six games, scored seven goals. That's how good she was for the U.S. Women's National Team. Uh, before she got injured, she was in form, running on all cylinders. And I think she's going to be chomping on the bit. Now, there are a few players who are going to be at this Gold Cup uh, training, you know, uh, this camp just training, trying to get back into rhythm. She is one of them. It is crucial that you get a player like Mallory Swanson, who didn't make last Olympics, if you remember. I remember she coming down to L.A. and interviewing her in the boot room. You would have thought she would have been a shoo-in for the Olympics. She doesn't make it. And we see a different Mallory Swanson. We see a change of chip, a change in that mentality. And she's been cutthroat ever since mm. on the field. They need a player like Mallory Swanson running on all cylinders. A player like Mallory Swanson healthy if the U.S. women's national team is to regain the top spot in the world. Yeah, you got to think, if she regains the form that she had in early 2023, she's definitely in whatever formation they play, she's going to be in that, in that starting front three. Uh, however it shakes out for Emma Hayes. Uh, as I was saying, the NWSL regular season kicking off on uh, March 16th across the uh, ESPN family of networks on ABC as well as ESPN Deportes. We're going to Kansas City. Actually, I will be in Kansas City to see uh, the KC Current in their new digs there at CPKC Stadium hosting the Portland Thorn. Should be a fun one there on March 16th. All right, before we get out of here, Herka, let's uh, run it back. Lots of action from Europe. Starting the French Cup. Valerian Balogun converting from the spot in the uh, round of 16 against FC Rouen for Monaco. That's the good news, Herc. You like that one? Yeah, snaps a gold drive. I thought he wasn't good at penalty, Seb. Look, you told me he was. What? What, what happened here? Well, they oh, went to a penalty shootout. strikes again. He went to the penalty spot, and this time it's tougher to make two penalties than one. Uh, Monaco eliminated there in the round of 16 by a team out of the third tier. Speaking of the cup, the FA Cup, Matt Turner, he got his start for Nottingham Forest. He made six saves, including this one in the penalty shootout to, well, not totally, but pretty much redeem himself and get Nottingham Forest into the next round of the FA Cup over Bristol City. Shot stopper, when it comes to penalty kicks, as good as they come in CONCACAF, showing you why right there. And uh, gets a celebration with his teammates. What a whirlwind week for the U.S. number one. Elsewhere in the FA Cup, Haji Wright with a goal for Coventry City in their 4-1 win over Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, Haji Wright, whether he's playing on the wing or in that nine spot, that man can score, put him in front of goal. He will get you his goals right there in the FA Cup. What he needs to do, put in the back of the net. Nine goals across all competitions. Elsewhere and last in the FA Cup, Leon Bailey got start, played 88 minutes, but it wasn't enough. As Aston Villain, what was a pretty big surprise, ends up losing three to one to Chelsea. And Aston Villa then eliminated from the FA Cup along with Leon Bailey as Chelsea advances, winning the replay. They're through to the fifth round. And before we get out of here, Herc, let's talk rules or laws of the game, as they like to call them over at IFAB, our friends at the International Football Association Board. They're set to announce the introduction of blue cards as part of trials and what we're being told is higher level football. So they're moving this past the grassroots level. 
The blue card will equal a trip to the sin bin or 10 minutes off the pitch for dissent or specific tactical offenses, including situations where a player deliberately takes out an opponent when a red card isn't warranted. Herc, what do you think? Are you ready for blue cards here in the beautiful game? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I read a report that it's gonna be introduced in the FA Cup. Now, this is what I love about the blue card and it being introduced by the best league in the world. If it was MLS or USL that had done this, here we go, these stupid Americans trying to change the game. I am so happy it's the Premier League who is leading innovation, leading change. How many times, Seb, have we seen these players crowding the referee, literally abusing the referee mm -hmm. in front of people? The game stops, four or five minutes go by, it goes extra far, we get like 12 minutes uh, of extra time after these games. Now, blue card. Go sit out. And when you go sit out, someone will say, well, the game's going to be more defensive. They're going to all of a sudden box it in. They're going to all of a sudden try to defend and do what? No, no, no. It can be that way. It can go the other way around. It could be like a power play in hockey. I know you're going to hate that, these Euro snobs, but it could be like mm -hmm. that in introduction of more goals. Or you could just not be a nugget and you could actually say, hey, I don't do it. And you play so if there's a tactical foul situation, you don't grab him like Chiellini in the Euros against Bukayo Saka. You don't grab him and that could lead to a goal, hence more goals. Faster game, more actual game time, less abuse for these referees. How mm. many times have we seen these referees get abused? We're gonna be all better for it. And I repeat, gracias, Premier League. Thank you, Premier League, for leading the way. Well, well, leading the way, our friends over at the MASL, the indoor game would say, we've been doing this forever. Back up with giving uh, anybody but the indoor game credit for the blue cards. I gotta be honest, Herc, if this was just about protecting the referees, I'd be fully on board. But they've lost me because they've made this more confusing. This is about tactical fouls that aren't a red, somewhere between a yellow. That's just more subjectivity to the game. Now there's gonna be confusion, not just between what's a red and what's a yellow. Now there's confusion between what's a yellow and what's a blue, and what's a blue and what's a red. I'm all for protecting referees, because we, we show video all the time of refs getting abused every which way on this show, and we finish every one of those segments saying, you got to protect the refs. If FIFA wants to put this in place okay. and say, we're going to give blue cards for dissent and send people off, that is a quick way to end dissent. I'm with you. But why mix in all this other stuff? You're just adding more confusion. Well, all you, we you, ask the you can't tell when there's a tactical foul. Clarity with VAR. Give us clarity with what a handball is. Here they're just opening this up for more. Confusion. No. No. You know when a tactical foul is issued. You know when you stop a promising play that could lead to something. So why not just give it a yellow card? It's not card. like, is this challenge... They, that's what they do now, Seb. That's what they do now. But these yellow cards are taking away goal-scoring so opportunities because they're not yellow red card, card worthy. Oh, special yellow card. Yes. You understand it then? No, I don't. If it's a di if you're giving it for the <laughs> sake, which is something different, <laughs> you, you just give them spelled it out, guys. Send guys off. You're talking about the Chiellini play. Seb. That's either a yellow or a red. Why do you need a blue card for that? You gave him a yellow, but that play could have led to a goal. Hence, the blue card, Seb. Producer Rafa wants to go home, so we're going to end it there. That'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. We'll be back <laughs> on Monday with Archie Rin Tut, hopefully talking Let's Bundesliga. Up. I don't know that we have uh, confirmed that. And what else? Oh, Lorenzo Insigne of Toronto FC. We'll hear from the Ooh. Italian superstar on the next edition of the show. Have a good weekend, everybody. I brushed we'll up my right Italian. Here.
on Monday. Ciao. Ciao is what we're, what we're looking for.